0: I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times best-selling author of Take the Stairs. Talk to you soon. Mike McCallowitz is a new friend of mine and he is a friend of friends. I actually met him at a mastermind group here right. in Nashville. And ever since, we've kind of been circling a couple different groups of, of authors and um, some mutual friends, Donald Miller, John Gordon. But he is the author of a huge best-selling book called Profit First. And it is a what we would call and refer to as a long tail bestseller, which yeah. are the books that I really, really respect the most. He also wrote a book called Clockwork, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan, and then his newest book is called Fix This Next. So he's a writer, he's a personal brand but he also by age 35 had built and sold two companies. So one to private equity and another to a fortune 500. So he has the experience of being an entrepreneur and being a personal brand and writing about it. He used to also write for the Wall Street Journal. He's done a lot as a business makeover specialist on MSNBC and he's just a great guy. So anyways, Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Rory, thank you for doing this, man. It's good to be here with you.
0: So, can I ask you about Profit First? Because I kind of tongue-in-cheek refer to myself as, you know, a best-selling author, but I've always been jealous of the people who have the books that sell week in and week out, hundreds yeah. and thousands of copies every single week. And Profit First, it just, it is that book in, in the space
1: of entrepreneurs. How did that happen? First of all, let me qualify, you know, best sellers become so bastardized. Like that's the one thing I avoid. Like I, what I like now is a perennial popularity. Like, can you have something that's perennially popular? And mm. to do that, when I was writing Profit First, I, I wrote the book and I have this actually on my wall. I, I asked certain questions myself. The first question is, will this concept be relevant 100 years from now? Mm. And, uh, cause, cause it's for longevity. Meaning if I wrote a book on like, you know, how to advertise on Facebook, the longevity could be six months before they change the engine again and that would not qualify for what i'm looking to do and then i put does does this wear on the maslow's hierarchy of needs is this so financial security is right there at the base level needs up there with breathing air and drinking water and eating food so i determine where it is on there and then probably the most important thing is do i have a concept that is is fresh or new in perspective. Maybe it's the same old story, but told in a way that hasn't been told before. Or maybe it's a new application of something that's established. And Profit First is the pay yourself first system. So it's not a new concept. But that's always been in personal finance. I think it's the first book that translated to business finance. What I saw is it had life, addressed a core foundational need for humanity, and it was it was something that was foundational in, in its execution. It was something that would work. and that I think contributes to why it you know, continues to sell.
0: So, talking about that, so one of the things that we describe is thought leadership is kind of forwarding the thinking that has been done, somehow yeah. advancing the conversation, not just regurgitating it. And what you just said was interesting, you said it's the pay yourself first concept which is a concept that's existed in personal finance but yeah. you kind of brought it to the entrepreneurial community. Did you do that deliberately? Like, did you actually have that thought of like, oh, this is a great concept over here that I should bring over here? Or was there yeah, more it? Yeah, I mean, maybe, it
1: or- you know what's so funny? Hindsight's so clear. It's like, of course, I saw that. No, I didn't think about it, maybe I didn't. I'll tell you, I, I conceived it. it was I needed it for myself. So I was an entrepreneur. You know, you share all the highlights. Really, there's more low lights than highlights. And that's true for every <laughs> entrepreneurial story. It was in the low lights. I'm like, I was so frustrated that I couldn't consistently make money i couldn't retain it and i built and sold a couple companies yeah fine but those companies were never fiscally healthy i did a really shitty job running those i was lucky in hindsight to sell those companies really yeah oh totally right place right time right needs from the acquirers but not that they're like oh my god this guy's a genius that and other things woke me up to my gosh i gotta figure this out for myself so once i had it figured out for myself i said oh this may translate to serving other people I based it for myself on the pay yourself source system. Like, you know, how do you make money? How do you save money? And all these methods came up thinking grow rich, richest man, Babylon, you know, books and concepts from hundreds of years ago. And I was like, Oh, I need this personally, but my income source is my business, let me apply it to my business. I started doing it there. Once I started getting traction for myself, I wrote an article in the wall street journal and that's when people started saying, Oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Where's the book. So that brought about the book. It wasn't, such a deliberate, oh my gosh, I'm taking an idea here, I'm moving here, I get this. Kind of through forming clay, it became that. Mm -hmm. So, talking about the company, so this is important too. So, how do you think the profit
0: first, so not the book, but the actual concepts in the book, how do you think those apply to personal brands? Or can you talk about that? Because personal brand is interesting. It's like you are both a personal brand and you are an entrepreneur. And so, that I think is something that, you know, it's amazing people talk about how many followers they have or how much revenue they do in launches, yeah. how much their speaking fee is. But in reality, how much are they actually keeping can be very, very little, shockingly little.
1: Yeah. And does, does any of that stuff matter? I remember when Twitter was getting popular, a person of influence in the Twitter realm was bragging effectively about the number of followers they had. And this person said, just referenced your Twitter handle you're about to get X number of followers, dot, 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 you're welcome or dot, you're welcome. And it doesn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, when it comes to financial viability, it's how much money you're retaining. So I would say profit first absolutely applies. Listen. You may have one follower on your Twitter handle and they send they spend fifty million dollars with you, you're the winner. You are <laughs> the winner, you're the winner. So I, I don't know if those numbers matter. I try to get over my big fat ego constantly. It gets in my way. And so if I have X number of followers, I'm like, yeah, yeah, got And I'm comparing myself. I fall into that same stupid game. But I realize at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is for my business to continue. It needs to be financially viable. And the only, the only factor for that is profitability. If there is no money to live by and the business is done, it's all done. So profit first applies. It's a system of, as it becomes monetized, how much you're retaining, which then supports the long-term viability of the company. And also by the way, financial freedom for ourselves, like a profitable company supports a profitable lifestyle, a lifestyle where you don't have to worry about bills and you can be very comfortable. And then when you have that confidence, you can be even of greater service to your clients and followers.
0: So what do you think are some of the big mistakes that entrepreneurs make, if you can specify them to personal brands? This is also financial advisors, professional services, direct sales, like these kind of like very micro entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. What are some of the financial mistakes they make that compromise that viability or that financial
1: health? I think the, the, the lead bait concept is, is misunderstood or mis- poorly executed, I should say. I think people go too far with it. So I'm very biased toward books. You know, you and I and a group of authors had a call yesterday actually just exploring how books work and stuff. And like that's, I thirst to understand that stuff. And I think some people publish books as lead bait, but a, a book, at least from my purview, is is something that has permanence. It's, it's a historical document that for whatever reason, when you say something in the spoken word versus the written word, the written word is seen as gospel and the spoken word is seen as fleeting. I think some people put books out there and say, this is my lead bank, you know, free book, spend $7 for shipping and you get my book. And I don't realize, I don't know if they really appreciate that that book, when someone receives it, it's going to sit on a shelf for a lifetime. And if it isn't the best, if you didn't put your every drop of blood, sweat and tears and soul into it, you're compromising your brand on the long term. So it's a short term win. Oh, I can plop a book on the table and say, Look, how knowledgeable I am. But when people start to consume this, you actually may be compromising your brand long term, short financial gain for long term financial agony, then you got to keep on kind of popping like what's the new lead bait I can do. I think when we give away anything, it's got to have extraordinary value for what they paid. I I want people when they pay you know, $25 in my book saying, holy shit, I got $25,000 or $100,000 of value out of this. This is a big deal. Because I know if that happens, they're going to propagate it, that the marketing then becomes this automatic internal referral engine, where people just start propagating it. That's where I think people go wrong. We're trying to get them down to, to buying something as opposed to giving them extraordinary value at every transaction, even if it's the free transaction. Hmm.
0: And do you think that that coming back to the book you don't think you have any sort of like magic marketing technique that is creating the long tail success you think it's that people read it and they go oh my gosh this is incredible this is valuable this is useful and so it naturally propagates
1: that's the essence of it right like i i don't know if like i'm trying to think of some popular books like like the bible like i the bible sells pretty darn well it's probably the best selling book of all time i don't know if they have a formal marketing funnel for the bible Now, there's been institutions built around this, right? I mean, massive institutions that propagate it. There's communities that carry it. I don't know if there's a formal system. So with Profit First, there's communities around it. There's no question about it. And Mm -hmm. I've facilitated my own, this accounting community that's leveraging it. I do have some systems in there to help keep that engagement going. Like every book I write, I'm trying to write the best book I've ever written in my life. And ultimately, the consumers will judge it. I almost equate it, maybe I'm using too many illustrations here, but like a band. If a band has a hit tune, is it their marketing that makes that tune keep going, or is it really just a good song? Do they also have a responsibility to keep performing that song because that's what people want to consume? And do they keep writing songs? Yes. You know, the question is will be they be a one hit wonder or will they have more? Right now, you know, I'm a one hit wonder with Profit First. I have other books out there and my community that loves Profit First to consume my other books, but none of those other books yet are so strong that they stand alone you're
0: basically saying look that you know, build a community around it that believes in the concepts and they propagate it for you and Empower that the, them. Yeah. the integrity of the work is so like you know one of the things so so one we have an event called bestseller launch plan where we talk about how do you launch a book and yeah. we share a quote from Robert Kiyosaki where he says remember it's not called new york times best writing author it's called new york times best selling author we leverage off that as a springboard to go you have to sell you have to market. you oh you actually do well yeah but that's only to light the spark after that the long tail success it's like it is about being a best writing an author it
1: is about I, I really think so there is one more component though at least in the nonfiction genre that i've experienced people who read books myself and my readership who read books once they read it there's one common question to see over and over again Am I doing this right? So they read the book and they still question themselves. And can I put an infrastructure in there to ensure they're doing it right? That's where the community comes in place. You know, some people read the Bible as an example and they say, Am I doing this right? And that's why we go to church. You know, You read profit first and it's like, okay, I understand this, but am I really doing it right? And now we want the affirmation. Mm -hmm. So, there's so many flavors of that. There can be subsequent material. There can be uh, support communities, peer-to-peer groups. There could be certifications. There's all these different flavors of it and you can monetize those or not. I'm thinking for the perpetuance of the book is there's going to be this feedback loop of am I doing it right? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, we do one-on-one coaching. All of our clients have
0: read the book like they already have so much of the information, it's the application that they're paying for. So, that's really interesting. So, financially speaking, take yourself out of the personal brand and take us more to the expert kind of content that you normally talk about. As an entrepreneur, okay, what should I be doing to protect the financial health of my company? How do I, I mean, obviously, I can get the profit first book and kind of go through that. But, you know, like you said, you sold a couple companies that weren't, fiscally all that healthy, what are some of those disciplines, I guess, if you will, in terms of managing the finances?
1: So the number one driver of a healthy business and healthy finances is actually the removal of the owner from the business, which sounds weird. But if the business has dependency on you, it has a dependency. And that's a problem. It's probably multiple ways. First of all, if we look at the future acquire, if you ever want to sell your personal brand, <laughs> you got a problem because it's a personal brand and there's a dependency. So how do you remove yourself from it? We had that call yesterday. What I shared was the approach to remove myself. I will perhaps always be the spokesperson for my brand, but now I'm becoming more and more of a commercial. I'm the, the, spokesperson saying, you know, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I'm Verizon. I'm not Verizon or whoever, whoever's commercial that is. How can you bifurcate yourself out from your business? And I've been knock on wood so far, so far successful at that, at least as I define success and I've positioned my businesses the ultimate asset test is would someone else want to acquire it? If someone else wants to acquire it, a smart acquirer doesn't want any dependency on the owner because they know the second the owner leaves, the business falls apart. So actually removing yourself from your business is the first thing toward healthy discipline because now an acquirer would want it. You have a money-making machine. Secondly, you don't want to leave it because it's a money-making machine and you can sleep at night while still making money. When you have that, now you have a business that increases in value. The second thing is, profit first is a system. Like we have to have a profit system. I think the, the biggest fallacy I see all business owners making, personal brand or otherwise, is it's top line thinking. They're like, mm. you know, I just need, I need to make more. And what we're hoping for is this magic moment one day in the near hopefully future or maybe distant future, but one day all of a sudden all this money just appears in our bank account that everything came into alignment. There's profit there and customers are happy. We're working so hard for that switch. And the reality is there is no such thing as a switch. It doesn't just tip over. There's no tipping point in the business from a business that's unhealthy to all of a sudden by having more and more sales is wonderfully healthy. What happens is it's a throttle. Revenue, generating revenue is is only one piece of it. We need to extract profit on it, but not not eventually, we need to make it a daily habit. So we have to implement profit systems. Once I have a, a cash ATM, a business that day in, day out is profitable and is not dependent on me, now you have a business that others desire and you will desire most. That's the goal. Mhm.
0: I love that idea and people brag about the top line but it's like, you know, if you're if you're a builder and you're building homes or you're an advertising agency, your top line could be huge and it's like your margin is a percentage of a point. I think that's really fascinating do you think that there is going to be so on the topic of acquisitions I'm fascinated with this you know we had an exit our former company that was something we did systematically removed ourselves from the business we're doing that with brand builders group we've been transparent from the beginning is it's you know there's a reason we don't call it vaden Inc. vaden enterprises right it's like and we uh, are doing that is I'm wondering what's gonna happen Is there gonna become a marketplace for buying and selling Facebook pages? I know that that's already happening. Evaluation for email lists, evaluation for podcasts. Clearly the idea of media companies being sold based on evaluation of their audience has existed for years. I'm wondering, I'm just dreaming about this. And I I don't know that I have a specific question here other than what do you see because I'm going, You know, I see the same problem that you talk about with a personal brand if it's dependent on the person ultimately isn't a sellable asset. That may be fine. That may be a conscious choice that you're making but is there a way we can structure certain parts of our business to be sellable and is there already a marketplace developing for that? So, do you have any like insights or thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, they call them chop shops. You, You can chop shop a business where the individual parts are more valuable than the collective, right? So you could just sell off little bits and pieces. It's like chop shopping a car. A car when you break into pieces is actually worth more than when it's collective, which is mm. kind of reverse of what you think. Historically, when that's why companies, one of the line items this is true in selling business is called goodwill. Like it's the nebulous number that's the, that is the that is the most open for discussion because what's the brand value? Like how influential are we in the market? And you couldn't measure it. Well, fast forward to today, Goodwill is much more measurable. It is your email list. It is your following constituency. because now we can start putting numbers to it. So, those individual factors are a big determination of your valuation. But there's also the rise of a devaluator, which is dependency. The more dependent in business, it's more clear for acquirers, the more the business is dependent on individuals, the individuals, the less valuable it is. It's more about the automation. So, do I have a Email list that's highly likely to buy and is highly engaged, and they don't care that it's me. That that's the stuff that moves up the value. If you have a great massive email list, but the second they care, it's about me, that causes a devaluation. Great numbers, but we better keep Mike involved, or we got to put up the charlatan. We got to put up a fake Mike up there, and that becomes a problem. So there's these two variables now working against each other. People are definitely putting numbers to goodwill now, and they can podcasts like you know how many downloads you have. Those are are definitely Indicative of goodwill, and you can't fake it anymore.
0: And do you know of a valuation method? I mean, you value a business, right? You take the present value of the forecasted future stream of cash flows. When you value a media asset, like I don't know anything about valuing attention in a numbers sense. Yeah. Is there a valuation model that you know of for like a Facebook page worth it with a hundred thousand? Is worth XYZ.
1: Is worth XYZ. I do know a valuation model, not for that. I know the most basic valuation model when it comes to selling small business. Your acquirer will go through due diligence and pick all these numbers and so forth. But I'll tell you what the end valuation is for any business. What's the least you're willing to sell for? What's the most you're willing to, willing to pay for? And is there an intersection? If that doesn't happen, <laughs> it really is that simple. But what we do is we play this game. We say, well, you know, this and that basically is the buyer convinced you're worth. The most you are willing to pay for and are you convinced it's worth selling the least you're willing to accept and once that intersection happens the other models i leave that to the professionals who honestly they don't know what they're doing they're just playing the numbers game until they reach this agreement that's what you're looking to do Mm
0: -hmm. but i do think there's got to be some value to it right zig ziglar was one of my personal mentors and tom his son is still around and running the business and you know you go certainly that the engagement isn't as valuable in the absence of Zig but there is some engagement still there and I'm fascinated to see if there becomes a more standard rhythm or process for evaluating those media assets.
1: There will be and and, you know standardization starts the point of negotiation. It it puts us in the ream of reality. Every seller wants to sell for a hundred times what the buyer wants to buy it for. So we, we put this inflated valuation on ours and they can put a deflated valuation. So it is a starting point for negotiation. It's funny, personal brands, I think before Zig Ziglar, you know, Dale Carnegie. Sure. Dale Carnegie passed away, I think, you know, in the early 1900s, if I'm correct, or by 1950, I'm sure. That brand is still strong today. I think they did a great job in leveraging that individual as an icon for the company, but not the influencer. And I think that's one thing we can do to improve our valuation instead of causing a devaluation in ourselves. If there's a dependency on us, we're in trouble. But if you can become iconic, Burt's Bees. Bert passed away but he became representative of something and there's a company that sold for a billion dollars on the face of this eccentric mm-hmm. guy. So, it can be done that you can extract yourself but still be iconic for the brand. Interesting. All
0: right, real quick I know you have to go. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to have more time to talk
1: about Fix This
0: Next. This is your, your new book coming yeah. out. What's it about? Give us a quick, quick, the quick overview. Thing is, the
1: thesis is this, the biggest challenge entrepreneurs face is knowing what their biggest challenge is. Mm. So, you know, someone listening right now say, oh, I gotta do this. There's this constant, I gotta do this. But the question is, does the business need this? This is a much more analytical discussion. So Fix This Next is a very simple tool. It's based upon yes, no questions that will pinpoint what your business needs from you. And you can get in the book or you can go to fixthisnext.com. I have a free evaluation there. No sign up or any of that stuff. You can just pinpoint what your business needs from you right now. That's what this book's about.
0: I love that. What a clear premise. Pay attention, y'all, to how a best selling author here in real life knows the premise in one sentence about what the book is about. The biggest challenge that entrepreneurs face is knowing what the biggest challenge is that needs to be fixed in their business. Uh, anywhere else you want to direct people to, Mike, if they want to follow you and catch up with more of your work?
1: I'm just encouraging everyone to go to fixthisnext.com. That's the starting point. Let, let, let's get your business fixed. And then once you do it, you can elect to opt into all the other stuff I can share with you. But it all starts at fixthisnext.com.
0: Love it. One of the most practical, intelligent business minds, I think, in the oh, space. Mike McAllowitz, ladies and gentlemen, we wish you the best, my friend. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, Rory. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news one of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So, as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it